0: Everybody, welcome to the 20th episode of Literary Disco, 2012 Year in Review. On today's episode, uh, each one of us, Todd, Julia, and me, Ryder, are going to take me five writer. books. Me, Ryder. Me, <laughs> E. Bone.
1: Let the man speak.
0: I haven't introduced you
2: yet, so just calm down. Sorry. All right? Sorry.
0: Go ahead. What we decided was rather than doing an episode where we talk about five books that came out this year, because... A lot of the books we've read this year did not come out in 2012. We're just going to talk about our five favorite books that we read this year. I'm actor and filmmaker, Ryder Strong. Joining me are radio and essayist... Radio? She's not a radio. (laughs) And joining me are are radio personality and essayist, Julia Pistel, and novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg. Welcome, guys.
1: Oh, guys. It's been a long year. It's been a long 20 episodes. (laughs)
0: been a long year. I didn't realize we were going to actually put ours in order, so I still have yet to figure out exactly my top five in the correct order. But does anybody know what their their number five is for the year? Well,
2: I think I know my number five favorite book of the year. Which was? It was Treasure Island by Sarah B. <laughs> Yay! <Bain. laughs> uh, I will
0: say that Treasure Island is my number four. So, yeah, Treasure Island definitely... Julia did Treasure Island make your list at all?
1: um no guys, Treasure Island did not make my list, although I did love it. I had making this list was really difficult for me because at, when I started I was like i I read a lot of books I liked and none that I loved and then when I listed out like fifteen contenders, it was a battle royale for the top five uh
0: you know I actually i I found that my five books have a theme ooh i can I can kind of. Reduce everything to one sentence, which was this year, everything that I really liked was about too much education and too much expectation in a bad economy.
2: That's my theme.
0: Yeah, it, it, it works perfectly. I realize that all these books... So I think Treasure Island fits this yeah. perfectly. Treasure Island absolutely while fits it. Because Treasure Island is incredibly funny and yes. it's mostly just a straightforward hysterical book, it also has this really great thematic point that I think is kind of pertinent to our cultural moment. Where this overeducated college graduate is moving back in with her parents and struggling to sort of, you know, figure out what her life is all about. And she had all these great expectations for what she was going to be and what her life was going to be like. And of course, it's all turned to shit. And... Actually, the book that and I don't remember if we mentioned this when we first discussed Treasure Island, but the book that it reminded me the most of was Catch Twenty Two. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah, in that, yeah. It, 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 in that it takes like a, the the logic of of a cultural moment, whether it's a world in World War II and Catch Twenty Two, or in this case, just a sort of college graduate dealing with the uh, post college life, and like twists that logic so far to an extreme that it becomes absurd, but it kind of makes sense in a way. So like. I, I like the fact that um, Mark Haskell-Smith, when he was on our show, was talking about how the young undergraduates don't like it, mm-hmm. yeah. don't like the book. And I think they don't like it because it makes them uncomfortable with how close it, it is to it home with completely
2: mindset. Well, Sarah yeah. Levine just came out um, to the residency for the MFA program I run. She came out, and I talked to her about it. I said, you know what? I had undergrads read the book, and I'd say, if you were under 25 and you're an undergrad, you hated the, the, the narrator, and they hated Sarah Levine. The author, if you're over 25, they loved every part of it. And she was telling me, you know, how often she gets that reaction. But she was also saying of how crazy people are on the Internet about um, the animal cruelty that happens in the book. Even though, you know, there's far worse things that happen to people (gasps) in that book than happen to the animals, of course. Um, But... Mm. the reason this is my number five book, and it could my five through one could be completely interchangeable, really. yeah, um me is too. that I just laughed my ass off. It was the funniest book I read all year, and it hit a little uncomfortably close to home in <laughs> places and and it's probably yeah. for the reasons you're saying, right. and I just think it was um extraordinarily inventive, and I didn't read another book like it all year long. so. Treasure Island is my number five. What was your number five, Julia? Love that book.
1: Okay, my number five was um, something I've not mentioned on here at all. Um, It's a cheat. It's two reads that go together. So I read, um, I had to lead for a book club for work this book called Portrait of a Novel, which just came out this month. Um, by the literary critic and professor Michael Gora. And what it is, is it takes Henry James's portrait of a lady and it writes a very readable narrative biography of the book. So it's not a biography Ooh, of Henry wow. James. That's interesting. It parses out the locations in it and what was happening. It's a historical look. And it also, of course, goes way deep into Henry James's life and what he was doing. And Henry James was a huge editor. so he edited the. B- he would edit his own work for new editions that would come out he would edit the american version and the british version differently so it looks at that as well which i'm really interested in but of course that since i was leading the discussion that led me to reading portrait of a lady which i had never read and guys this book is incredible it's got this heroine at the center of it have either of you read it
0: no I don't think I ever did. I mean, I feel like I know it, but yeah. I don't think I ever um, read it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've never even come close to reading it. I've never heard anyone talk about it. I've never wanted to read it.
0: I'm trying to remember yeah. what's the Henry James. What what, what? what? Can we name some other Henry Turn James novels? Because I know I've read
1: Daisy Miller, or the other biggies.
0: Okay, I mean they're all similar yeah, in some yeah. ways, So I'm trying to remember which one I read uh, where she's an American in Europe. That's got it. It's probably Daisy eat. Miller.
1: She's in okay. The Daisy Miller is the one I've read that. Yeah, but all right. So Portrait of a Lady, This the heroine is... And it's very similar. It's like she goes abroad to what you guys are saying about Treasure Island. And she goes abroad. She has this idea of her life as a story, a la Belle from Beauty and the Beast or every other heroine ever from this time. Um, <laughs> and um, her expectations are not met whatsoever. Um, she is easily deceived. And it's just a really good... If you want that feeling... From a classic of, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going to happen, and this has this perfect classic voice, but you feel like you've read every other classic, as I have. Um, uh, not that I've read them all, that I feel like, oh, I've read Middlemarch, I've read all, <laughs> all of Dickens, I like crave mm-hmm. that feeling again. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. let me crack right. open this huge book and see where it goes. So Portrait of a Lady by Henry James, and then read Portrait of a Novel. Great. That was the uh, number Great. five.
2: All right, and yeah. we heard your number four, Ryder. What was your number five?
0: So my number five, um, I you know I was tempted to select Gone Girl, which uh, is something that Julia and I have both talked about, but I feel like it's on everybody's top five list for this year. So I went for the the other mystery book that I really enjoyed this year. It's and I, I unfortunately I think it's going to end up getting sort of lost in the shuffle because Gone Girl has gotten so much praise as like the best mystery of the year. But it's a book called Broken Harbor by Tana French. And we've talked about Tana French Mm -hmm. on the show because Julia Mm -hmm. has also read all of her books. And this is her new book that came out this year. It's um, part of, she has a series of um, it's called the Dublin murder trilogy, I guess, or the Dublin murder series where she follows different detectives from the Dublin murder squad. But the reason I picked this one is because again, I think it fits the themes of um, our time very well. And I think in about 10 years, people are going to look back on this as a really interesting look at our economic downturn, like a post-2008 world. Uh, It's a guy, he's a cop, he's a detective from the Dublin Murder Squad who shows up at this... um, this murder scene where this entire family has been killed. They've all been knifed and it looks like the husband did it, but he's also been killed. So he would have to have stabbed himself. And it's this awful bloody scene. The kids are dead, but the house, they, the family had moved into this housing development. It was one of these housing developments that was built, you know, in a rush to be, to sort of create these McMansions on the outskirts of Dublin. And it's been completely abandoned. And now it's just like, The worst neighborhood in the world, all these empty houses. So they lived in this sort of perfect, you know, summation of what happened between 2007 and 2010 economically. But then there's also all these holes in the wall and there's all these cameras pointed at the holes Mm. as if they were trying to trap something that was living in the walls. Mm. And so mm. it's up to the detective to figure out what the hell was going on. That and it you know, it leads into this whole backstory. Yeah. It leads into this whole backstory about like, you know, how this couple grew up and how they fell in love and all of that to me was way less interesting than this idea of this family thinking that they were animals in the walls and going crazy because of it in this big empty house and this housing development. I just love that image and I love that idea and it was really haunting and it stuck with me in a way that images from other mystery books and stuff haven't really, you know, a great fun read if you want a good mystery thriller and it's really haunting and appropriate,
2: a book for our time. You know what's fascinating is that in the Inland Empire, which for those of you not in Southern California, uh, is the area outside of Los Angeles to the east of Los Angeles, there are all these McMansion gated communities that either nature has taken back over or gangs have moved into and have basically turned them into their own fortresses, which I find absolutely amazing. But there's this one in um, Rancho Cucamonga, they had an article about it in the LA Times, where nature took it back over and there's just you know coyotes living in mansions which i just find (laughs) absolutely amazing i love that idea exactly and that's
0: what that's the exact sort of image that this book leaves you with it's just this creepy thing is and then it's also this question of is it all in their heads like Mm. were there animals living in the house or were they making it up and going crazy because they were so economically distraught wow that sounds
1: amazing i can't believe i haven't read it yet thank you that sounds good todd what was your number four
2: my number four is actually a book we're going to talk about so i'm not going to talk too much about it it is a wonderful book called we the animals by justin torres which is actually up next on the literary disco docket but i just finished reading it and i absolutely loved it i cannot wait to talk about it it is a really small book it's all of 125 pages um and it's it's a first person book but it's actually told sort of in the we voice because it talks about Three brothers and a fucked up family, um, with a, a you know, sort of aggressively angry mother and um, a bad father. And it's it's somewhat reminiscent of Juno Diaz's drown in a way, um, in the voice of it, but it's also just remarkably moving, extraordinarily well told, and in two weeks we're gonna talk all about it. So mm-hmm. I, I will yeah, save it. Uh, I haven't started I'll it save yet, it for so. that.
1: <laughs> Yay. But that's
2: that's my number four. That's great.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, Ryder, we know what year number four is. Um, Treasure Island. Mine is... I really wrestled with whether to put this one on here because we all know the author, and I didn't want it to seem like I owed this person anything, but... um, Really, for sheer quality of reading, I have to recommend Megan Mayhew Bergman's Birds of a Lesser Paradise, which...
2: That is my number two book of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so Megan is went to the Bennington Writing Seminars with us, and um, we didn't know her super well, but... Uh, or at least I didn't. And I've gotten to know her recently because of the book and online friendships and everything. And in fact, I was one of a, five people at a reading of hers recently. <laughs> um, and I've never... It, I think Welcome
2: it, to the glamorous life of, a, of an author. Honestly, showing up to a city and having four people there.
1: I have to tell you, I don't think anyone has ever been happier to see me in my entire life probably more than like when i was born <laughs> she was she almost cried maybe she cried oh, God. um anyway this book is um but megan aside for, and really we'll put megan aside for this the short it's a short story collection about mankind's animal nature and our relationship to animals and it is so fucking good (laughs) like every story every story makes you feel that feeling that you want to feel in fiction which is just so completely taken in by both the premise and the writing you know it's not writing for writing or Mm -hmm. premise for premise and it's so sad I think what really will get a book on my list is if it makes me feel deeply depressed for the state of mankind that's to me Mm -hmm. an amazing book (laughs) I mean there's, there's one story about um this lemur rescue place and a depressed woman who volunteers there because she has nothing else to live for. Really. Um, there's a story about a girl who was attacked by a wolf and she's disfigured and she's getting married. There's a story about um, a futuristic dy- dystopian kind of place where there's nothing left in the ocean, but the narrator is ch- uh taking her father who has dementia fishing in the ocean with nothing left in it it is so good and there's probably 12 or 13 stories in it and every single one was transporting you know in that way that i just wish every year for a book to be this good and i loved it oh i can't
2: wait to read it it, i haven't read it it also contains the my second favorite story or maybe it's my first favorite since uh The book ranks higher of uh, a parrot having a fundamental um, (laughs) conflict point uh, in the story, just like Treasure Island does. I I think, um, and I I said this, um, I I wrote an article about my favorite books of the year for uh, the newspaper Las Vegas City Life where I write book criticism. Um, I I thought it was the most beautiful and strange collection of short stories I'd read all year because she has a unique ability to be both sad and funny, which is also somewhat mm-hmm. like her personality, at the same time, um, and, and to inspire interesting emotions out of unusual places. Um, but I, I think, and and I don't say this just because we know her, but I think in 20 years, people are going to look at Birds of a Lesser Paradise like they look at um, Amy Hempel's first book or Laurie Moore's first book, um, that it's it's going to be one of those collections of short stories that become part of the canon of American literature. I absolutely adore that book.
1: Yeah, it's great.
2: And I hate her for it.
1: Oh, and uh, here's another, (laughs) yes, Uh, here's another note. It did very well in hardcover when it first came out for a short story collection. And so people might not know the paperback has an additional extra story in it. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, oh, it's cool. a great little marketing thing, obviously, to sell more books, but it totally works. That's the one I heard her read at this reading. So if you want another copy or buy it for a gift, make sure you go and check out this new story called Phoenix.
2: Oh, very yes. cool. All right, Ryder, what was yours?
0: Um, moving on to number three,
2: three. right? Yeah, is right? number three.
0: My number three is a book called The Solitude of Prime Numbers by Paolo Giordano. Have either of you read, guys no. read this book? Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of a huge hit, but you don't hear about it. I think it's more of an international. It's a it's an Italian book, so it's a translation. It came out in 2008. Um, I, I don't know when the translation came out, maybe because I think there was also an Italian movie made in 2010, so maybe hmm. it was around that time it was published in English. I don't know. Uh, this is a book I read for my book club, which I've complained about on this podcast before. <laughs> But I, this is this. There have been a couple shiny moments in my book club, and this is one of them. And it, it's an Italian book. It follows two characters. I take it the it's, book
2: club does not listen to your show.
0: Maybe not. I, maybe I should be
2: nicer. <laughs> uh, I pray to God my students haven't been listening. I know that much. God, I, I'm sure work hasn't been listening. <laughs>
1: Go ahead, Ryder. Solitude
0: of Prime Numbers <laughs> follows two characters, a girl named Alice and a boy named Mattia, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. And they're both outsiders. They both get messed up uh, by uh, you know tragedies when they're young, which I won't give away because they're the opening chapters of the book. Uh, and they don't know each other for the first couple chapters, and they meet in school. Um, you know, it's these tortured individuals and... And on some level, I didn't want to like the book. I started reading it, and I was like, "Ah, uh, this is this is a you know a book about tortured outsiders." It was like a little too emo. It was kind of like <laughs> listening to a, a playlist made by Zach Braff. It was you know the, the world was too much for these wilted flowers kind of book. And then we got into I, let me the just book club say discussion. That if,
2: if there's ever a world where Zach Braff <laughs> programs the sound, that would be, I think, that's when I kill myself. That would be it. You've you've you have right. correctly pinpointed my breaking point. Right. <laughs> so then we I got to book club and we started
0: discussing it. And I realized that this was kind of my problem, that that if I if I actually looked at the way the book was written I looked at the, the scenes and the prose itself, even in translation, it's incredible. And there's really not a wasted word. The scenes are perfect. And the relationship between these two, which could have been handled so cheesily, you know, these, these outsiders, um, because uh, again, going along with my theme for the year, uh, of overeducation. <laughs> The character, the 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 guy Mattia is a he's he's basically autistic, but he's a mathematical genius. So a lot of the book is about you know some of these mathematical ideas applied to their relationships. Hence the the solitude of prime numbers is the title. So there's a way that that if you pitched me that book, I would roll my eyes and just be like, that just sounds on the nose. It sounds kind of cheesy, but I have to say this book totally won me over in the end. And, and so rather than being like an emo song, it's sort of more like a really, really nice (laughs) piano sonata. It's like a perfect, um, it's a short book. It won't take you that long to read. And, um, it's, it's got such a delicate touch to it. It's wonderful. And I, I,
1: I highly recommend it. That sounds awesome.
2: Sounds good. All right. My number three book was Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter, um, which I absolutely adore. It's um, Did either of you read Beautiful Ruins? No. No, I've heard about it, though. It's, it's been a big bestseller, um, which is good for Jess Walter. He normally writes crime fiction. Um, he was up for the National Book Award a couple years ago um, for a 9-11 book that he wrote, and also um, he's written a bunch of... He wrote a true crime book. he's written a bunch of stuff, but this is his first sort of love story and it's uh it takes place on Cinque Terra is that the name of the island off of Italy um and i I'm sure I pronounced it with a very florid uh, Italian feel to my voice there um but it's about um a girl, a young woman, an actress who is um was Richard Burton's love interest, she, he impregnates her on the set of Cleopatra where he's also having a tour affair with uh, Liz Taylor, who I think we can all agree was portrayed vividly by Lindsay Lohan recently um and it uh, did you
0: actually watch that you did didn't uh, you?
2: I watched it while my wife was watching it and uh you know oh, yeah. so liked, yes you liked liked it. I watched it, it <laughs> while my wife was watching it what a way to sort of distance yourself from I, it. I watched my wife watching it <laughs> well, it's not like I was jerking off at the same time um, but I was <laughs> but it so it, it it's this Hollywood love story but it also jumps time to present day and it it, it tries to reconnect all these characters together it's also sort of a postmodern story. There's a there's a, a character who is an aspiring screenwriter, and inside the book is his treatment for a movie called Donner with an exclamation point, which is a movie all about the Donner Party. Um, awesome. Oh, I have to. I it, have to it also has uh, chapters from a fake memoir or a memoir by one of the characters about his life as a Hollywood producer. It's it's just a remarkable tour de force of of writing by by Jess Walter and beautifully written, and it will make you laugh. And then the last chapter, I found myself, um, the second time this year, in tears. The first time was reading Tiny Beautiful Things, which did not make my list, unfortunately. Um, but the the last chapter, I, I found myself crying with both joy and, and sadness. Um, but it's a wonderful book, I recommend it highly. Um, and Jess Walter is a writer, if you guys are not familiar with him, uh, I would read also the Zero, which was out for the National Book Award a couple years ago. Really good book.
1: Awesome. Well, Great. Todd, I will make you happy because my number three is Tiny Beautiful Things. Oh. Um, I well, it's another cheat. I wrote my list says Tiny Beautiful Things slash Wild, but um, as Ryder already alluded to, everyone in the universe, you know, is recommending the same few books this year, and Wild is one of them. Um, but I'm finding that. Um, the reason that I decided this would make my list is I just keep giving it to people. I keep buying hey. it and giving it to people. Tiny Beautiful Things, specifically. Um, because as we discussed on our other episode about it, having read the online column several times and having read the book now well, at least like one and a half times, I just continually go back to it and find more stuff in it. You know, it's good for a reread. It's good for a highly emotional experience. (laughs) (laughs) And I just feel Mm -hmm. like Cheryl Strait has deserved everything she's gotten this year and is having a banner year Mm -hmm. and totally does not need a recommendation from little me, but whatever. I still loved it. It just, I mean, if if you guys haven't, listeners, uh, heard our episode about it, please do go back and listen to it, because it's just a really unique book of advice columns um, from the Internet that were once anonymous and are no, no longer. So that is my book.
2: And let me make a pitch here for Cheryl Strait in general, is that people are talking about her like she just burst on the scene. She has been writing for years and had a novel, Torch, that came out a couple years ago. And so she's not an overnight success. She's one of those great overnight successes that took a career to make. Mm-hmm. And just like you were saying, Julia, I, I cannot give her enough praise for the great year she's had. Yeah. If there's one person who deserved to be picked by Oprah and had the light shined on her work, it is Cheryl Strait and ju- tiny, beautiful things. It's not a great book to read in the bathroom. I found out because it's weird. If you come out of the bathroom crying, <laughs> people are going to, people, people have questions will, for you.
1: Yeah. You might get sent yeah.
2: away. <laughs> but, uh, I, I was reading it one day uh, while using the facilities, as we were reading the book to start with, and I I came out in tears, and my wife was like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> just a really, really amazing BM, baby. Really moving time. Let me just tell you, honey, no more corn in my diet is all I'm gonna say. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> in wild too. We didn't. We never really talked. to You're disgusting. Uh, but Wild too uh, is just an incredible book about hiking and death. So,
0: yeah, I still want to read Wild. I couldn't find it. I went to Barnes and Noble in a very ill-advised moment of shopping for holidays, and I was like, oh, stuck in Barnes and Noble. I was like, well, they gotta have Wild. They didn't have Wild.
1: I'm sure it was of course, on maybe... the front shelf of.
0: Yeah, by this that, yeah. I just yeah. didn't want to deal with that place anymore. I ran from
2: it screaming. yeah <laughs> <laughs> also, something you don't want to do when coming out of the bathroom, <laughs> FYI. Mm-mm. All right, so what are we up okay, to here? Let's folks? do number
1: twos. In, uh, <laughs> no number
2: two. Oh, wow. oh you like that? You like that? Themed. <laughs> so I already gave my number two. My number two was Birds of a Lesser Paradise.
0: Oh, great. Uh, my number two is This Is Where I Leave You by Jonathan Tropper. Oh, I like that uh, book. This book is wonderful. It's a very funny book. I think it came out this year, right? Or no, maybe last. It came out
2: uh, three years ago. <laughs> what? I thought it was a newish book.
0: All right. Well, I read a hardcover edition, so I thought it was new. But um, yeah, so this is a a relatively new book. Uh, It's called This Is Where I Leave You. Uh, It's going to be made into a movie, so I would urge you to read it as soon as possible because I think that this book is so well written. It's very funny, uh, and you can see how it's going to make a movie. You can see why they're making it into a movie when you read it, but I think it's going to be probably more of a cartoon than it should be. Um, it's if 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 I were king of the world, this would be a movie directed by Alexander Payne, who did Sideways mm. and Election. It'd be that kind of movie. Uh, unfortunately, I think they're going to you know make it more of a straight sort of family comedy, and it'll star seth rogan and it won't be very
2: good wait but this is the one where the the father dies and he said shiva right yes okay yeah so it's about it's about a character
0: his name is judd foxman and he walks in and this is one of the greatest scenes in Mm -hmm. all of literature he walks in on his wife having sex with his boss his boss is like a howard stern sort of shock jock radio guy and it's this wonderful scene where it, it goes on for about 15 pages of just him standing there with a cake because he was going to surprise his wife with right. a cake. And it was just standing there with this cake, watching his wife have sex and his reaction. And it just, his thought process and the way it's written. It's <laughs> so funny. And you have to, you have to read it because once you read that section, you're hooked for the rest of the book. Oh, it's yeah. hysterical. So the book has a lot of physical humor in it, which is odd to find in a novel. And it's also hard to pull off I think in a novel and this book actually really pulls it off and that's why I think it's better as a book and once it's going to be a movie it'll just be like whoop, slipping on a banana peel and it'll be stupid but um, who's as starring a book, in it's it? great I have no idea it's changed directors like three times the guy who directed Rock of Ages Adam Shankman is that his name Adam huh. he was going to direct it and that would have been a disaster But now I think Sean Levy is might direct it Who I've actually worked with and he's a great guy he makes night at the museum films and stuff like that.
2: That's my could favorite be, documentary. I don't know. I, the thing about this is where I leave you that I really loved is the complicated relationships between the siblings. So they all yes. sit, they sit Shiva. So if you're not a Jew, that means you sit and mourn for the dead. Um, and all of the entrails of their life are fought about over and over and over again. So I can see yes. where it could be really silly if they wanted it to be. really mm. silly. Um,
0: well, I, And I I think that this is a really good companion piece to Treasure Island because it's similar in its sense of humor, but it's also similar in that our main character is going home and reconnecting with people from his past. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's way older and wiser. And way less delusional than the character from <laughs> Treasure Island, but it's but the ideas are very similar. You know, he's he's expected too much from his life. Right. He expected a happy marriage. He expected financial success. He expected each one of his siblings to fulfill their potential. And now the reality is hitting him in this this you know process of sitting shiva. And his dad was an atheist too, so it makes it even more you know funny that that they're sitting shiva. And the mom wrote a the, his mom wrote a series of sex books on Mm -hmm. how to have sex so it's hysterical it's like this weird collection of characters in a lot of ways it, it, it it could feel like a sitcom it could feel kind of predictable but he's a good enough writer to pull it off. It's it's sort of a lighter corrections. It's like corrections diet.
1: Wow, that sounds awesome.
0: All right, Julia, what's your number two?
1: All right, um, my number two is uh, yet another cheaty answer. Um, we I talked about this. I feel like only a few episodes ago. But my number two is the entire works of Gillian Flynn. So I wanted. <laughs> well, it's only three books. Um,
2: and all her all her columns for entertainment weekly or wherever she okay, writes well for.
1: i haven't read those so it's Jill- gillian flynn's three novels is <laughs> my recommendation um because as Ryder um mentioned gone girl was awesome but then it led me to these other two books and the reason i really thought of them right away is that these were the books where i was like taking an extra 10 cheap minutes on my lump lunch break or actually getting up at six instead of six thirty 30 to read them. And I just absolutely loved them. And they are to me connected thematically and stylistically so much like Tana French's books, um, because they're all about really, really, really messed up women um, that I would recommend them as together. You know, I don't think it's necessarily worth it to say, Oh, well this one's better than the other one. I don't know. Would you agree? To, Ryan? Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I love them all. I agree. I yeah. think they're all great. I, Gone Girl, because it was the first one, still sticks with me. Yeah. And, I, and I I I think it's it's the most well-crafted. Mm-hmm. But in terms of interesting characters and weird worlds, they're all amazing. And they all go, I mean, they're so twisted. I mean, the one, um, I'm blanking on the name of it. What was the? Um,
1: Dark Places is the one with the Murder yeah. Mystery Club.
0: That's The Dark Places is my favorite in terms of character and setting. Yeah. Um I just find it so interesting it's such a great world this the other one about the girl the 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 Thank reporter going yeah, home Yeah yeah that is just that's too twisted that one was hard to get that one it, is was like, so... yeah. it was like made me want to vomit it was like uh and people are just so awful to each other is really I mean I, I can't talk about it too much without giving away like major <laughs> plot points but it's really
2: twisted Well what's
1: great about it is that um Instead of the, I would say, somewhat normal scenario of, you know, you don't know who the suspects are because everyone seems pretty, like, cool on the surface or nice, it's the absolute opposite. It's like every single person in the book is so horrible that you completely believe that any of them could be a serial killer.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's an incredible idea of like, well, let's make each person worse than the last and there's they've all got their uh motive so it's really great
2: so if i'm gonna read uh the collected works of gillian flynn should i just start with gone girl or should i start with her first book and go forward in time
0: i would listen to gone girl on audio tape that's what i would recommend because it's read by two different actors Mm -hmm. for the two different sections two different main characters Mm -hmm. and it's really entertaining um
1: it doesn't but yeah i would start with
2: gone girl i have to say i think okay but yeah they're all good that will be my project coming up next, is I will read her books, so that I can have a discussion next year about Gillian's Flynn.
1: Yeah, when no <laughs> one cares anymore.
2: <laughs> when no one cares. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about uh, Great Gatsby. That's a new one. All right, so are we up to number one?
1: We are. It's
2: so, your number one, Todd. Well, let me start by saying two things. Number one, I just love doing this podcast with you guys, and I'm so happy Aww. we get to read all these books together. Yeah. yeah. And then number two. I read, I reread a couple books this year that could be my favorite book every year, so I should mention those: uh, "Devil in the White City" by Eric Larson, um, which is nonfiction; um, "Columbine" by Dave Cullen, which you guys should, everyone should reread um, in light of everything that's gone on this year with people killing each other. Um, and I also reread "Empire Falls" by Richard Russo, which we talked about uh, an episode ago. Um, and those books, uh, reading them again was eye-opening for me, but. The book that I told most people about, the book that I had the most fun reading, um, is not the greatest work of literature of the year, um, but it is the book I just loved reading the most, and that is The Last Policeman by Ben Winters. Um, which Mm -hmm. I talked about uh, a couple episodes ago about a guy, the last guy solving murders as an asteroid hurdles towards earth. I absolutely loved it. I've recommended it to everybody that I know that likes crime fiction, because I think he um, does unexpected things with a, a plot conceit that could be just absolutely fucking ludicrous. It could be Armageddon, you know Um, which I, by the way, loved and cried at when Bruce Willis dies at the end. Um, but I I just, I had a great time reading it. I did not know what the conclusion of the mystery of it would be. Um, and I I think the best book for any year is the book that you sit back and think, oh man, I wish I could read that again for fun. I wish I didn't know where all the all the twists and turns are going to come from. And that's how I felt uh, about The Last Policeman.
1: Wonderful.
2: I have
0: to read it. Yeah, it sounds so cool. I remember when you were talking about it, I was like, that is... That sounds so weird
2: yeah. that I have to read it. It, it, it. I think, you know, this is the guy that wrote Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, I think, or Pride and Prejudice mm. and Zombies, one of those. And so I wasn't expecting much, which is probably a horrible thing to say. Um, but, man, he, he really delivers a solid, quirky, bizarre, dramatic, sad, funny, noir novel. And you just don't get that every year.
1: Wow, I'm going to buy that
2: you should and apparently the uh the audiobook is quite good too i know a bunch of people who listen to it uh on audiobook
1: all right um i'll do my number one um i like todd had a great time doing this podcast with you guys oh it's been a really thanks, nice Julia. here.
2: it has is, hasn't it
1: i can't believe yeah. it's been less than a year it feels like it's been a part of my life forever I read a lot of great graphic novels this year. So I read Sailor Twain, as I talked about earlier. And I also read, our listeners have been clamoring for us to read um, The Walking Dead. And I recently read all of those. And they're
0: incredible, right? They're
1: very good. But I didn't want to pick them because it's not finished. So when it is finished, eventually, one day, I will say that I've read this complete work. But it's like watching a TV show and you don't know the ending yet. So I'm not going to talk about it but it was a great um rabbit hole experience i watched all three seasons of the walking dead and read all the books within a two-week span i oh
2: wow had a lot of, Jesus.
1: lot of nightmares guys a lot of nightmares <laughs>
0: um, uh, i'm kind of going through a walking dead phase right now because i had already read all the books but i hated the tv show for the first season so then i started watching the second season and the last five episodes of the second season that show got good it took a year and a half and it finally got good you just have to get past the very vain acting going on but anyway, so now there's a Walking Dead video game that came out for the iPad Ooh. that I downloaded where you basically are – it's really just like a Walking Dead comic where it's – you're in it. You have to decide what to say. It's mostly about conversations you're having. Oh, cool. So it's like whether you're going to lie about your past because you're tra- being transported to a prison in the beginning and then you get stuck with this little girl. So I'm totally like Walking Dead it out right now. It's incredible. <laughs> awesome. Sorry. Go on. Um,
1: OK. So my actual number one book is – something I have not yet mentioned at all, um, on the podcast. So I recently saw Neil Gaiman speak at this event here in Hartford called the Connecticut forum where they get three thinkers to talk over a subject. So this one was called vision and brilliance and it was Neil Gaiman, Neil deGrasse Tyson and this Insane woman from the MIT Media Lab who makes like cha- chairs that <laughs> hug you.
2: Um, oh, th- oh th- that would be the sequel to the This is This is where the chairs are. <laughs> chairs where the people go. <laughs> chairs where the people go, and then they fucking hug you. That would be the worst thing I've ever experienced <laughs> in my uh, entire life. But
1: it was really interesting, and it reminded me. And Neil Gaiman, I'm sure there are a lot of fanboys and fangirls in our listeners, but um, he is an incredible person. He just, he's so eloquent. He's so smart. Um, and my favorite book that I read this year was a YA book by him called the graveyard book. Have you guys heard of this one?
2: No, I haven't Um, heard of it.
1: So back when we had my friend Erica on, uh, and we read uh, When You Reach Me. She sent me a list of maybe 25 YA books to pick from, and I picked When You Reach Me, but I've read several of the other ones that she recommended, and one of them is this book. The Graveyard book is, in some ways, an adaptation of The Jungle book, but instead of a jungle, it is a graveyard. So it is a mortal child who... Wanders into a graveyard to escape someone trying to kill him. And he is raised by ghosts from oh, various cool. from various eras of what the town. That's a great idea. Yeah, so the, he has a guardian. He has a set of parents who are his guardians, but he also has a Baloo and Bagheera like figure in his life. And then he has just like in the jungle hmm. book, a girl who comes to a funeral in the graveyard and he sees her and he is curious about this other world and why other people age and he doesn't and what he's Hmm. able to do and not able to do and what the ghosts teach him and it is an incredible idea Um, that is a great idea and it's really beautifully done and it's the kind of book that every chapter i would just put it down and then whoever was near me i'd be like oh hey have you heard of this book and just Really wanted to tell people about it, and I absolutely loved it. And it's so creative, um, and for, for a YA book, just so unbelievably moving and readable. So it was a really great book.
0: While we've been talking, I've already ordered two books from Amazon. <laughs> so that's, that's number two.
2: I love it. <laughs> you know what? That actually reminds me. There was a great book a few years ago, actually like a decade ago, called A Gracious Plenty by Sherry Reynolds about a little kid who talks to all the ghosts in a graveyard and it's more sad literary fiction than um, anything sort of magical, but a good book also. Now that I was thinking about it.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
2: What was your number one writer? So my number one,
0: I owe to Julia Pistel (gasps) and this podcast Moby Duck. Moby
2: Duck. God (laughs) bless you,
0: Julia. No. So when we read Train Dreams, which was pretty close to being in my top five, I loved that book a lot. When we read Train Dreams, Julia brought up some books that she thought um, were precedents for that book, and. She mentioned John Williams and his books *Butcher's Crossing* and *Stoner*. Oh, Stoner, and <gasps> love Stoner. I read both of those books. Yes. And they're amazing. Finally. Yes, they're
2: so good. And
0: *Butcher's Crossing* might be my like one of my favorite books of all time. I, I this book was such a revelation for me. I only read it a couple of weeks ago, so I'm maybe just riding high on it. It's definitely not a new book. It was published in 1960. But this book, I, I think, I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe, Julia, you know more about John Williams and, and can shed some light on this. But I feel like he's one of these people that's kind of being rediscovered now, mm-hmm. like that he yes. wasn't that yeah. popular for. And I this I'm so I couldn't be happier. Like now I want to read Augustus. Is that his other book? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just obsessed with this guy.
2: Stoner. Um, Stoner is one of those books that I think once once you read Stoner, you're like, how is this guy not the greatest American author in the history of American letters?
0: And I guess Butcher's Crossing is, you know, not only is it incredibly well-written and all that stuff, but just thematically, I have always had an obsession with books about the wilderness, Mm -hmm. and in particular about the way Americans Mm -hmm. relate to wilderness. It's just one of my favorite topics. You know, how do we wrap our heads around nature? How do we exploit it or appropriate it or ignore it? And, I mean, this goes all the way back to, like, when I was a teenager and I love the transcendentalists, uh, mm-hmm. Thoreau and Emerson, but then it's also all the Western writers that I've probably mentioned before, fictional and non-fictional, uh, Edward Abbey, Cormac McCarthy, Wallace Stegner, even I would say Willa Cather and, um, Maya Antonia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I and mean, these are all writers that, uh, they, they wrestle with ideas about the West and mm-hmm. the mythology of the West. Um, you know, the idea that there's empty, virginal land for mm-hmm. us to take mm-hmm. you know which completely mm-hmm. ignores the presence of native americans and right. their genocide then you have the idea that the land was sort of welcoming and providing mm-hmm. and, you know that there's there's fortune to be made just by showing up and finding gold or catching furs and then this idea that the, that that nature itself that the land can teach you something mm-hmm. that it, that you have an education and it makes you a man
2: mm-hmm. all
0: of these ideas coalesce perfectly in butchers crossing and are completely demolished. Like the book is just, it takes all of these Western myths and rips them apart and does it in a really concise, um, wonderful story. I mean, it's a disaster. It's bloody. It's, it's hard to read at times. It's disgusting, and it's very detail-oriented, so it's not like, it's not like a brisk read. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, this is one of my favorite books. Oh, it, I'm I'm, so I mean, we talk about Moby Dick mm-hmm. all the time, but it also reminded me a lot of Moby Dick in notions of industrialization of nature. And there's just so much going on in this book, I can't recommend it higher.
2: You, you know what you also need to read? You need to read Little Big Man by Thomas Berger. If oh, like I that. remember
0: the movie. I have to see the movie again. It's been a long time the, since. The that, book but...
2: is incredible. It's a it's a fantastic book, and it touches on a lot of those things as well. But it also touches on, um, you know, even bigger issues of the American West. Um, it, it's right. a, more of a traditional Western, I think, than obviously than John Williams is. But it's it's a great book that I think people forget about also. But you know, what's weird is it, I think Williams is one of those writers that he only gets passed around now by people like us that say, "Oh my God, you've got to read this." He's not taught you know he's not one of those people that's right. in vogue um but stoner uh, for me Stoner's the the big one of, of his books mm-hmm. um that one i i learned more about writing reading stoner than in a lot of books i've ever read i mean yeah. and, and also about writing fucked up characters good god
1: yeah that's such a beauty writer i'm so glad that you I read them both and loved Butcher's Crossing because I think a lot of people now are, are finding Stoner and passing it around. And it is incredible. I mean, that book completely destroyed me. But Butcher's Crossing, I have not read, met another person who has read it. I just, it's like this book that I carry around alone in my <laughs> soul, you know, that feeling. Um, and it's I'm obsessed wonderful. with this book. I,
0: reading this book felt like something I wish I had written. Mm-hmm. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, in terms of all the ideas. So just, just to explain the plot a little bit, because we haven't actually touched on that. It's It's in the 1870s, and it's this guy... Who co- shows up in in the small western town called Butcher's Crossing? He left Harvard after three years, so this is how it fits into my theme of overeducated people oh, and yes. economic <laughs> downturn. He shows up to try and uh, take care, take advantage of the buffalo hide market, and, but he wants to do it by going out and actually hunting buffalo. He doesn't want to be a trader; he wants to like be a hunter. He's this young man, and he thinks he can learn from nature. And it just turns into this disastrous hunting trip where they kill thousands and thousands of buffalo Mm -hmm. but tragedy occurs it's uh, i can't give it away but it's so good and it's so depressing and exciting and i don't know um it's just been the book of the year for me i love it so much and and also he 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 very consciously is is you know he brings up Emerson early on mm-hmm. because the main character had actually seen Emerson speak. So he references like the transparent eyeball passage of Emerson and that keeps coming up throughout the book in wonderful ways. Sometimes it's a little too heavy handed, but it's clear that John Williams is is commenting on this literary tradition. Um, because even when the character shows up in 1870s, he's already bought into the mythology of the West based on drawings he saw as a kid. So it's like the West never existed. Right. You know, he, al- he already wanted to be a cowboy before right. cowboys were you cowboys. know, a thing. It's like they were already dying off and it already was a myth being dispelled. Mm-hmm. And I just – I love that idea. It's such a great book.
1: I think part of the reason that he is not better known um, is that he only has three books to my knowledge and they're all – genre books Mm quote-unquote and they're all in different genres so one is a western one is a tiny academic stoner is just the life of one academic man and you know it's very much like a school novel Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. augustus is about julius caesar etc so because of that (laughs) uh he wait i haven't read it so i can't say much more but julius
2: caesar etc I saw you them at Coachella. Know. Well, it's a great right? Julius uh,
1: yeah. Caesar, et
2: cetera, opened up for Dawes when I saw oh. them at Coachella. <laughs> so, uh, it's it sort, sort of but, Laurel yeah, Canyon Rock. Just New- so powerful.
1: New York Review of Books is really championing a lot of authors who are out of print and bringing them back into print. And they are heroes for doing so, just so that we all get to read these books. Are we done? I think we're done.
0: I think we're done. I mean, that was a great... Year-end wrap-up. Like, we, well, hold on. We got covered...
2: to cover some other favorites. Favorite movie, Ryder. Go. What movie? Favorite oh, movie. Oh God, I can't. I was not prepared for that conversation. Julia, favorite movie.
1: I don't know. I just saw Les Mis. Parts of which I really liked.
2: Ryder, favorite food of 2012. Favorite food. You keep asking <laughs> these questions. Like I favorite I... food, Julia. 2012.
1: Brussels sprouts.
2: Brussels sprouts. Uh, I'm going Caesar salad. Favorite cheese of 2012, Julia. Ricotta. Mmm, ricotta. Ryder. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, triple
0: cream oh my brie. Triple cream brie. Yeah, there's a there's a local cheese shop near our house, and we had we hosted a couple parties where we brought we bought this triple cream brie, and like we would have like ten cheeses, all of them would be left over, and everybody would eat the triple cream brie. It's it's amazing.
2: All right, um, favorite detergent julia
1: tied i don't know that's what we Tide. have Tide. i haven't Tide. really done a test
2: Ryder, favorite mm. detergent or soap in the house
0: i have no idea what
2: detergent. <laughs> i literally buy whatever is closest to me in the
0: store <laughs> like there's no difference to me between detergents favorite sibling
2: julia
1: it's a tie between my sister and my brother
2: all right rider, favorite sibling I only got one. And he made us read Pillars of the Earth. I'm going So he is not it. My favorite sibling of writers is not Shiloh. That's all I have to say about that.
1: I still like Do you have Shiloh. any other
2: favorites? Um
1: Wait, you have to say favorite... who your favorite sibling is. Oh.
2: My favorite sibling this year. Uh I'm gonna go Linda. Linda caused me, you know, no problems this year. I'm gonna go Linda.
1: Great job. Wait, Linda. Todd, did you answer what
2: your favorite movie was for the year? Uh my favorite movie of this year. Um Hmm. It might be Silver Linings Playbook. I really like Silver Linings Playbook. I have my answer. What is it? Beast of the Southern Wild.
0: Oh, I, I knew I knew I had I my favorite movie of the, the year. I have to think about the movies I
2: saw earlier in the year. I'm sure I saw some good ones earlier in the year. I, I can only remember what I just saw last week. But I wanted to see that, and I want to see Moonrise Kingdom. I haven't seen that yet oh, either.
1: that was my favorite movie of the year. Although I saw it. Right. The, the sound was shitty when I saw it, but it, it was wonderful. I loved it.
0: Favorite song of the year? Ryder. Um, let me look through my iTunes real quick. (laughs) Oh, well, a new song that came out this year that was the best song. Well, maybe it didn't come out this year, but I heard it this year. was Hold On by the Alabama Shakes. Oh, it's a good song. Incredible song. Good song. I'm just obsessed with that. And second to that is Hole in the Ocean Floor by Andrew Bird off of his newest album. Incredible. And then third, I would say the cover of Graceland that the tallest man on earth did. Oh, I got to hear that. It's, yeah, if you like the tallest man on earth and you like... Graceland, these two things come together brilliantly.
2: You can find it on
0: uh, YouTube.
2: The song I listen to the most this year, apparently, is The Other Shoe by Fucked Up, which is a, uh, a punk band, but um, I would say the um, Lucero's new album, um, Women and Work, was my favorite album of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to that constantly, and I also listen to a lot of The Baseball Project Boo. this year. Boo. If we're talking albums, my
0: favorite new album is Father John Misty. It's an uh, album called Fear Fun. Incredible.
2: Okay. Julia, favorite song of the year?
1: Um, the song that I rediscovered my immense love for due to running is No Diggity by Black Street. That's my only music submission <laughs> because that's the only music submission. All right? It's a great song.
2: No Diggity. I don't know no how the song doubt. goes.
1: Can you sing you it? You don't? Yes, you do. You don't no. know that song?
2: Maybe oh, I do. He's lying. Julie, gotta um, back that up. Sure. No uh, diggity. Here we go.
1: Um, I like the way you work it. Okay. No diggity. No diggity. I got to you back, gotta back it, it back up. It up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no diggity. And I then like at one the way point you work it. it. Um, hey-oh, 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 hey, hey-oh,
1: hey-oh.
2: No diggity. No doubt. Teddy Riley. Hey-oh, hey-oh, <laughs> hey-oh. <laughs> hey, oh. I think it came out in
1: 1995.
2: Yeah, it's really old. I remember freaking on the dance floor with it.
0: All right, and that'll do it for this episode <laughs> of Literary Disco. Join us in 2 weeks when we discuss We the Animals by Justin Torres. Thanks
2: Happy for listening. Heyo, 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 heyo. No diggity. No doubt.
1: Mississippi Delta shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway to the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland.